Hey guys, it's Dave. Just real quick before we dive into this episode, I want to remind everybody that this was recorded over a year ago. So all the stuff that Mary says she's doing, she's already done. Uh, The podcast that you hear me talking about with Brian, that didn't happen. So just, just keep in mind, we're kind of dealing with a time capsule here for these first few episodes before we get to the new content. All right, that's it. I'm out of here. Enjoy the show. Thanks for tuning in to the Roundtable Podcast, episode 57. Hello, everyone. I'm Brian Humphrey. And I'm Dave Robison. And you're listening to the Roundtable Podcast. Each and every week on the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come onto the show and present a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. And then we dig into it, smash it up with a hammer, break it into a million little tiny pieces, (laughs) rifle through them until we find the ones that really matter, and then throw it all back together into a solid and writable story that we like to call Literary Gold. So how are you? Um, I'm incredibly freaking busy as per usual. Cause dude, and now don't get jealous, but I'm starting a new podcast. Yeah. Well, I know about this because I saw the new, um, Twitter handle. See, I yes. had to learn about what you're doing from oh, Twitter. Oh, stop. You're supposed to be my best friend. Oh, what the hell stop. is going on, Dave? No, you knew about this. You knew about this. Don't, don't tell me. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Well, but it's, it's, it's called literary alchemy. And it's going to focus on all things dealing with the unsolitary writer, collaborative writing, collaborative fiction, online writing communities, uh, shared worlds, shared universes, anything that involves writers supporting each other creatively in some way, shape or form. Uh, that's what the podcast is going to be about. So I've been I've been gathering uh, interviews to, to cobble together into episodes for this thing It's going to launch uh well, by the time this airs, I'm hoping that I should be very close to releasing at least episode zero. Bad assery of the highest level, I think. <laughs> Thank you very much. And I'm, I'm yes. what I'm looking yes. forward to is is uh, uh, because I'm taking individual content like interviews and and book reviews and so on and so forth, and then piecing them together into a single episode. I can keep the content discreet and separate on the website. So if all you're interested in is like all the book reviews, you can just do a search for that tag, that category, and boom, all of that content will be there without all the other episode bullshit that you don't want to be a part of. That's awesome. Thank you. I I, I don't know yeah. if it'll fly, but but I'm looking forward to it. Well, you'll give it wings and we'll push it off a cliff and see. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. We'll be all Da Vinci. <laughs> We're going to get Da Vinci on its ass. That's right. That's right. So, And, and speaking <laughs> of, of ancient, not ancient masters, but masters I of glory. You were say speaking of, oh yeah, you are. You I know, was okay. going glory and, and you know, uh, brilliancy and genius. Let's, let's yes. invite our guest host back onto the show, shall we? Absolutely. Excellent. I, I quite agree. It's time. It's high time. Ladies and gentlemen, dear friends, please welcome back to the big chair author. Author of Shades of Milk and Honey, Glamour and Glass, Without a Summer, so many delicious and diverse short fiction pieces appearing in anthologies all across the bookshelves of every bookstore you've ever gone into, and a master puppeteer to boot, and audio narrator as well, the list goes on and on. Please welcome Mary Robinette Kowal. Mary, thank you so much for coming back after your 20 minutes with and helping us workshop a story. This is going to be awesome. I am totally. really looking forward to this. Thank you for having me back. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, uh, Mary, I know that you've got stuff going on that maybe some of your diehard fans know about, and there's probably a bunch of stuff that nobody knows about. And, and this is the chance. This is when we pump you for information. Uh, so, so for like the next five minutes or so, feel free, regale us with what's coming up. What's coming up from the desk of Mary Robinette Kowal? Well, so we we know that Without a Summer just came out, which means that although we are recording this before it has released, I am in the middle of book tour while you guys are listening to this. <laughs> so I am uh, I'm probably in Seattle right now. I'm not sure. Oh, wow. <laughs> might be in Houston or San Francisco. It's kind of toss-up. I'm also working on short fiction. I've uh, just finished a science fiction murder mystery that we are, uh, as in novel form, that we're shopping. And um, I've got a novella that is, is part of the Metropolis, uh, excuse me, Metropolis. Oh uh, yes, Audible anthology. So 
that is what I am currently working on and will probably still be working on when this this comes out because it's a novella. Okay. Well, and there's Very also cool. the piece uh, in uh, uh, John Joseph Adams' uh, The Mad Scientist Guide to World Domination. Yes. That just came out fairly recently and that's that still- That just came out. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure what else I have coming out. I probably should have researched my own bibliography before <laughs> getting into this. And just the fact that you would have to research that is just beyond awesome. That's very cool. I think that I'm, means that you, you're you mean, doing stuff. Uh, yes, I'm doing stuff. But I also think it's probably uh, the word you were looking for is not beyond awesome, but a little embarrassing. <laughs> Oh, or, or or the, 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 the crying need for a personal assistant, clearly. <laughs> oh, <There you> yes. <laughs> Couldn't yes. we all benefit from that? Oh, now, what about conventions? Are you, are you going to hit Worldcon? Uh, what's, mm-hmm. what's, on your, what's on your agenda for that? Or is that, a, is that another lengthy uh, uh, list that's too numerous to list? Well, fortunately, you've given me enough time to open my calendar and actually see where I am and what I'm doing. <laughs> um, I have just finished, at the time this this airs, I've just finished teaching at Paradise Lost 3, which is a workshop for um, new professionals, uh, usually people who've already attended the Viable Workshop, and that's in San Antonio. Okay. Um, I am heading off to, I'm doing a Doctor Who roundtable in Chicago. Oh, what uh, fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that a lot. I, I actually have one short story that's actual canon in the Doctor Who universe. I wrote something for Big Finish. Oh, my God. I know. That's like geek, <laughs> geek nirvana right there. It's like I got paid to write fanfic. <laughs> Brilliant. Excellent. I'm, uh, I'm going to be at the Nebula Awards in May. I'm planning on doing WISCON as well, also in May. Um, I'm teaching an online workshop uh, called Writing on the Fast Track, which is a short fiction workshop. And then in June, we're doing the Writing Excuses Retreat. Ah, yes. Yes, which should be a lot of fun. Worldcon, of course, uh, Gen Con. And I'm going to, in August, the National Puppetry Festival, which I'm looking forward to. Where is that, just out of curiosity? Um, I believe that is in... Atlanta this year or is it in Boston? It moves every year and I cannot remember where it is this year. Kind of like Worldcon in that respect. Yes, actually very much. Yeah, Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, Now, Mary, I got to ask, all of that other stuff makes perfect sense to me. Gen Con? Are you you that big of a game nerd, really? No, actually, um, but Gen Con has a writer's track. That's true. That's right. And so I'm one of the guests on the writer's track. Ah, very cool. Excellent. Well, I will see you there. Oh, fantastic. Uh, and, and also at Worldcon. Uh, uh, the rest of the stuff I'm working up to. But that's awesome. That's very yeah. cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> well, we will make sure all of that gets into the liner notes, uh, including a link. Is the Writing Excuses retreat all filled up? Yes, we sold out in nine minutes. <laughs> <laughs> what a shock. What a shock. All right. Well, we will put in a link. I feel so smug saying it. <laughs> as, as well you should. I mean, that's like that's like the, the Veronica Mars things being funded in less than a day, $2 million. That's fabulous, Mary. That's awesome. To you and to all the, the writing excuses gurus. Uh, what we will do is we will put a, go ahead and put a link to it so that people can you know look at what they missed out on, on not being there in that first nine minutes so they could be a part of that awesomeness. And, and I assume that you'll be doing it again next year. Uh, we have to w- see how this one goes um, before we make any decisions. Okay. The plan is to have this be a yearly thing, but we are hosting it at my parents' house, uh, which is the former, used to be the old family farm. So there's like two houses on the property, 13 wooded acres. Ooh. That sounds lovely. It is fantastic, but um, I have to see if my parents live first. Uh, I mean, you know, they're in good health now. I don't know how they will be after the retreat. Sure, sure. Okay, anybody that did sign up for the retreat, be on your best behavior (laughs) so that Mary's parents survive. That's very important. Holy crap. Well, we'll still, we'll make sure all of that gets into the liner notes so that everybody can follow the links and, and, and keep track of all the awesomeness uh, uh, that you're working on. Um, now, what I'd like to do right now is just take a brief pause, give some time to another podcast or, or, or an ebook trailer uh, or, or a Kickstarter campaign. Who knows what, what awesomeness is out there. But when we come back from that, we're going to workshop a story. What do you say, guys? Awesome sauce. I am excited. I am too. Let's, you guys, friends, you don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. This is Josh. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Luke. 
And we are the Cromcast. We talk about Robert E. Howard. Conan the Barbarian. And other weird fiction. You can find us on the web at thecromcast.blogspot.com. And if you do not listen, then to hell with you. Lords and ladies, welcome back to the Round Table Podcast and this week's workshop proper. And as I understand it, today we will be visited by a squire, soon to be knight, who comes to us all the way from the mystic Far East Kingdom of Japan. Which, Dave, if we do the literary knighthood, would that make her a samurai at that point? Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Oh, God, I didn't even think of that. Yes. Okay, this, this is going to have to happen yes. then. Because uh, then we can pull out the whole Shogun thing and get James Clavell. And yeah, absolutely, <laughs> I'm all over it. Sweet. So, yes, as you say, Brian, our guest writer for this episode is an American currently living abroad in Japan. Interestingly enough, she realized uh, after her graduation that a degree in anthropology really doesn't qualify you for much. But that's so cool. It is badass, but really when you're... You're trying to like make ends meet, uh, uh, you know, doing gigs as like a legal secretary or whatever. She said the heck with it. She moved to Japan as a language instructor. Uh, she teaches English to students of all types, from toddlers to teenagers to, to businessmen, nurses, the Coast Guard, even World War II veterans. She spends her spare time uh, traveling, uh, learning Korean, because apparently that's what you do in Japan, uh, and reading voraciously, and, and always scribbling away in her notebook, and I'm given to understand listening to Writing Excuses and the Roundtable Podcast. What better way to improve and enrich your life? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the writer's chair, Nicole Bunro. Nicole, thank you so much. We know it's never easy to bring your baby up for scrutiny, and, and we are so deeply grateful that you did. Thank you, ma'am. Well, thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. So, so how long have you been in Japan? I've been in Japan for about two years now. So I, I enjoy it a lot. The, the food is lots of lots of sushi, lots of uh, fish and whatnot. But uh, I enjoy. It. Okay. Do they do they have geek culture there oh, in Japan? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Of course. <laughs> Can you consider most video games are actually made in this country? So. <laughs> well, that's true. Um. Well, and you've brought a story for for our workshopping delight. I yes. Have. I have. Uh, well, what is what a odd coincidence? <laughs> We're all gathered here to workshop a, a story. Let's dive into that. So, Nicole, here's the deal. Uh, we're going to give you five to eight minutes. Go ahead and give us the, the title, if you have one, uh, uh, the genre, the, uh, the, the format. Is it going to be a short story, a novella, a series of novels? Introduce us to the world if it's an unusual place. Uh, give us theme and tagline. Introduce us to the characters. Give us some, some key plot points so we understand at least the basic structure of the story. And then we'll, we'll dive in and we'll workshop the heck out of that bad boy. So uh, uh, I'm going to get out of the way. The mic is all yours, ma'am. Okay, thank you. My story is called Hunt. It's a young adult urban fantasy murder mystery, which I see as being the first book in a series. This is the story of 16-year-old Robin tracking his brother's killer through the paranormal crime world and along the way trying to unravel his brother's life of lies. The theme is uh, learning to accept the true self of those we love by seeing through the lies they tell us and the lies we tell ourselves. So Robin is our protagonist. He's a coolly analytical 16-year-old boy who idolizes his brother Peter beyond reason. By the end of the story, he needs to reconcile the brother he loves but didn't know with the deeply flawed man that he's uncovered. Peter is dead when the plot starts, but the story all takes place within his shadow. To support his brother, Peter led a double life as a paranormal bounty hunter, and eventually this life swallows him whole. Chase is Peter's ex-girlfriend and his former partner in bounty hunting. She's a hard-drinking, bar-brawling, walking disaster who's keeping secrets about what big eyes and teeth she has. The cold and beautiful fairy queen, who's ruled fairyland with an iron fist for a thousand years and basically runs it like the mafia to keep it under the radar of the modern world. The woodsman is her henchman, a fastidious and brutal hitman. Saya is the fairy queen's half-human daughter, who also happens to be Robin's classmate and the crush who's been ignoring him for the last three years. Towards Robin, she's both actively hostile and backhandedly helpful, usually at the same time. Uh, let me also introduce some backstory about the world. So, thousands of years ago, the major powers of the paranormal world made a pact of secrecy to shield themselves from the mundanes. The fairies are particularly invested in maintaining secrecy because of their unique vulnerability to the iron-ridden modern world. For this reason, 
the fairies employ a large number of capital H hunters, uh, hitmen slash bounty hunters, whose job it is to bring in or bring down any dangerous paranormals that break the pact and attract attention. The hunters in this story include Peter, Chase, and the woodsman. Uh, each hunter is given a pendant that can catch the souls of the pact breakers they kill, and it transfers it to the soul cauldron, where the fairies claim the souls are purified. This is a lie. Actually, in exchange for their immortality, every seven years, the fairies owe hell a tithe of souls. Originally, this was intended to be a kind of population control on a people that had bargained away death. But for thousands of years, Fairyland has been paying that tithe with the souls their hunters catch. But lately, Fairyland hasn't gotten enough souls to pay the tithe from just ordinary pack breakers, so they've invented TWH, which is a drug deliberately designed to make the users go rabid and become dangerous killers. The fairies' goal was to A, produce more pack breakers they can prey off of, and B, increase their power and authority by becoming the only paranormal enforcers in town. This information is known only to a few. The story starts when the police tell Robin that his older brother Peter was killed in animal attack. However, Robin knows it was murder. He thinks the only person he can trust is Peter's ex-girlfriend Chase. Unfortunately, when Robin finds Chase, she's drunk and in the middle of a bar fight. And she doesn't want anything to do with Robin's desperate quest. But before Chase can kick him to the curb, they're attacked by an acid-spitting swamp monster. They manage to take out the creature together, but it becomes clear that since Peter's death, someone is now targeting the people closest to him, Robin and Chase. Chase reluctantly agrees to help find the killer. She starts by introducing Robin to her and Peter's employer, the Fairy Mafia. In Fairyland, they then meet the Woodsman, the Fairy Queen, and Zaya. On their visit to Fairyland, Chase procures information on Peter's last job, their first lead. Peter's last target was a werewolf that's tweaking out on the drug TWH. Robin and Chase corner the werewolf, but end up getting their asses kicked by his pack because they can't communicate or trust each other. The werewolves tell them that Peter wasn't just a bounty hunter, he was a drug dealer on the side, distributing TWH. The werewolves think he was probably knocked off by a rival drug dealing demon. So Robin and Chase investigate the demons. Some exciting things happen, I'm not quite sure what. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, the demons reveal Fairyland's deadly secret about the soul tithe and the true purpose of the drug TWH. Uh, Chase is shaken to her core about this because she's always believed that she was saving people's souls when the truth is that every soul she's caught has been literally damned to hell. So the demons say there's a coven of witches who conveniently skip town after Peter's death. Maybe the witches killed Peter. However, when Robin and Chase finally track them down, they learn the witches were on Peter's side because Peter was actually a double agent working with the coven to develop a cure for a TWH overdose. If Peter was double-crossing Fairyland, Robin realizes the fairies must have found out and had him killed. The killer must be another hunter. At this point, Chase suddenly ditches Robin. The woodsman takes advantage of this split to sow some discord. He tells Robin that Chase is indentured to Fairyland because they made her a human. She's actually a wolf. The woodsman says Chase, the wolf, is the one who killed Peter. He gives Robin a potion that will briefly force her to reveal her natural form. So Robin tricks Chase and slips her the potion. It's true, she's a wolf. He confronts her. Did she kill Peter? Yes, she did. Robin attacks her. Chase stops him, but doesn't really defend herself. Yes, she killed his brother, but, she says, Peter was already dead. He'd been poisoned by TWH, and he'd already gone rabid. So Robin just goes crazy, and Chase leaves him. Robin has the, the woodsman's potion vial in his hand, and he throws it against the wall, and when it breaks, he realizes where he's seen it before. The last time he saw Peter was in a coffee shop where he'd bumped into Saya. Saya had a vial just like it. If Peter was poisoned by TWH, Saya did it. Then when Peter went rabid, Chase killed him as a packbreaker. So Robin solved the mystery, but he wishes to hell that he hadn't. And so he's sort of sitting in his bedroom, writing all over the walls, going over the evidence again and again, wanting a different answer, but he doesn't get one. What he does realize is that if Chase killed Peter for Fairyland, and prior to this investigation, Chase believed the soul cauldron purified souls, then she caught Peter's soul and put it in the cauldron. They're going to use Peter for the tithe to hell. So at this point, Saya comes to Robin, and he confronts her about her part in all this. She admits it and says she'll never forgive herself for what she's done either. Then she says the tithe is paid every seven years on the spring equinox. Of course, that's tonight. 
And she saw Chase heading towards Fairyland, probably to do something drastic. They have to go now if they want to save her and Peter's soul. They have to trust each other and work together. In the Fairyland showdown, Chase fights the woodsman, Saya faces off against her mother, the Fairy Queen, and Robin says goodbye to Peter and breaks the cauldron, which for magical plot reasons can never be replaced. Uh, the resolution is that after thousands of years of unchecked population growth, the fairies now have to pay the tithe with their own souls. So the book leaves off with Fairyland splintering into civil war, Robin and Chase are public enemies number one and two, Saya has betrayed her mother, and Peter is still dead. However, Chase has found some peace, Saya has broken away from her mother's manipulations, and Robin has grown so that he's able to accept his brother's true self, the good and the bad. Awesome. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Boom. And and right there, eight minutes. Awesome. Yeah. That was kick-ass, Nicely. Nicole. Nicely well done. done. Well done. Um, and, and trust me, Brian and oh, I both understand what you yeah. just went through, having gone through it ourselves. So, badassery. Well done. Now, let me ask you, Nicole, what do you want to get out of this next you know, 45 minutes or so of discussion? Well, number one is just absorb, obviously, the collective wisdom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's two main things that I'm kind of worried about is... Number one, does the mystery work? Like, at this point, I'm kind of too close to it. I can't see the forest for the trees. Like, does it make sense? Mm -hmm. uh, okay. And number two, the thing I'm worried about, I kind of like my beginning, kind of like my ending. My act two, I'm kind of, I think the technical word is eh about. Um, <laughs> it's like they investigate witches, they investigate demons, they investigate werewolves. It seems kind of not that, it seems very linear, not that dynamic. So, okay. And that's, that's the one, my one eh part. I think you've come to the right place. Yeah. I think eh is something that we cure uh, uh, on a regular basis. So very cool. We're going to dive into this in just two seconds. But before we do, uh, we really need to cover our ass. Brian, would you be so kind? Absolutely. So in the process of workshopping your story, um, you have several different personalities that are going to be throwing things in the pot and brewing what we can. And a lot of it is going to taste like crap. So <laughs> that you're more than welcome to throw out as just bad juju. Anything that you like, you can keep. You are the author. It is up to you to determine what's the really good literary gold and what's the just pure bullshit. <laughs> Fair enough, Nicole? Yes. Awesome. Very Fair cool. Enough. Excellent. All right. Then we start by going uh, once around the table, just very briefly, to ask some initial questions for clarification, give some first impressions, and, and sort of showcase and highlight what we think we might want to talk about as we dive deeper into the story, into the discussion. Uh, and we always lead off with our guest hosts. So, Mary, would you be so kind? First impressions of Nicole's story idea? Any, any questions of clarification you might have? Uh, start us off, ma'am. Sure. Um, so my first one is a very simple thing. What are the pleasurable side effects of TWH? Ooh. I hadn't really given that much thought to it. I Presumably some sort of heightened sense of invulnerability, um, and it makes them sort of very invincible for a while before they go crazy. Okay. We can um, work with that. Yes. Um, <laughs> I hadn't given that much thought to it yet. The, the reason that I was asking is because that's going to affect why people take it. Sure. Mm -hmm. And what happens beef you know like what happens to them before they overdose like the economy of it the next thing is how many how many souls does fairy need to tithe every seven years my original thought was it would be a certain percentage of their total population so as they're immortal and none of them ever die every seven years it has to be more and more and more i hadn't come up with an exact number <laughs> um okay how does that figure in mary well, because this is a really complicated plot by Fairy to basically come up, and, and it's a very uncertain plot by Fairy in which it, they are trying to come up with people that they can can tithe. Mm -hmm. And it seems like they're... One of the things that I sometimes see with uh, with mysteries, and uh, and it's something that I do at, you know, at a danger, is that often it is... Um, the bad guys are doing something that is ridiculously complicated that they could... Uh, in a simpler way mm -hmm. um, and this feels very convoluted right now okay. no, no I agree <laughs> okay we can work with that we can that, that's an excellent point though and and yeah if, if we can simplify that that might also clean up some of the the, the plot sequencing uh, that Nicole's concerned about mm -hmm. yeah I think so cool. so let me let me start there and then we can uh, okay. you guys jump in and then we'll we'll come back around awesome very cool Brian first thoughts and questions sir Sure. Um, okay, a couple questions. One is, 
Uh, was there anything romantic between Chase and Peter? And will there be any echoes of that between Chase and Robin? I imagine Chase is being a bit older than Robin. So she, she is Peter's ex-girlfriend. And my backstory for them is that she actually became human because she fell in love with him. So that, that okay. was my idea for them. Okay, and then another question that I had has to do with TWH, and is it specifically for supernatural creatures, or are they harvesting human souls as well? Uh, just for supernatural creatures, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, those are my two main things. The, the other thing, too, is uh, it, it sat a little odd with me that Chase didn't seem to know that Peter was dealing the drugs, uh, if he indeed was. How does that, that pan out? <laughs> My backstory is that since they're exes, that they haven't seen each other in a while. Oh, okay, all right. So there's been some some passage of time since yeah, yeah. they worked together and and partnered up to to bounty hunt and stuff. Okay, gotcha. All right, those are those are the main things for me. Okay, cool. Um, for me, Nicole, first of all, love the the dark gritty Fay. Um, I, I, yes. I have always enjoyed the the tarnishing of, of the bright silvery goodness of the Fey when it's done, and this this has the potential to be deliciously dark and gritty. My my teeth are already grinding with the grittiness of it all. A couple of questions for me is: uh, How does Robin know that Peter was murdered at the beginning of the story? Peter actually left him a note saying that he thought he was in trouble, and if something happened, go find Chase. So. That's okay. that what leads him to believe it's murder. Okay, I'm, I might suggest a, a a more aggressive tact for Robin uh, okay. to actually explore, so he can you know like rather than passively, oh, my brother said something might be happening to him, rather let him dig in. Uh, but we can explore <laughs> that later. The other question is, what does Robin do just as a job, just in his life? What is what is his career? Well, he's 16, so he's in high school. What does he want to do? Oh, was he want to do? Uh, he's on the baseball team. He'd like to be like a baseball player or something like that. He okay. doesn't. He's a sixteen-year-old boy. He's not that ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> well, and okay. So at the end, then when he's okay, that's right. Because this is YA. Holy smokes! Yeah. Got to keep that in mind. Um, so at the end of the story, what is he going to want to do? Um, at the end of the story, what does he want to do? I mean, here's here's this whole new world that's been exposed yeah. to him. Uh, uh, is his life ambition going to shift at all at that point? Besides the fact that he's public enemy number one on the Dark Fay, but carry on. I had sort of envisioned, if this becomes a series, that he and Chase would sort of continue fighting crime in the future. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Excellent. No, that's cool. I'm just, and like I say, just laying out some some clarification as we go forward. So cool. Um, that's all I've got for now. Mary, uh, where, where do we want to dive in here? Where, where do you think our, our time will best be spent? Um, well, actually, you raised a question that I want to follow up on, which I realize that I'm not certain. What What is, uh, what, what species is Robin? Oh, Robin's a human. He's just a normal human. And Peter was a normal human. Ah, good point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So maybe they're not. I didn't think about that. You're right. No. I maybe Robin doesn't know that they're not. Exactly. Exactly. That could be one of the reveals is that they discover that they are, holy crap, actually Faye. But then you get, it, then it becomes even more complicated. Like why are, why is, <laughs> you know, that, that adds multiple layers of complication and conspiracy. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, then you have to ask the question, well, why is, why is Peter hiding Robin in, in a high school? So one of the things that I was that that I think might actually simplify things with your plot is right. uh, if what TWH does mm -hmm. um, is not so much drive people insane so that they have to be put down. If it makes normal humans, if it causes them to take on fairy attributes so that fairies don't have to sacrifice their own. Ooh. Oh, nice. That's amazing. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that before. That's awesome. Jeez, Cole, that's dark, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's, that's, that's great. awesome. And, and then if a normal fae takes it, it does mm -hmm. have the side effect of making them absolutely insane because it's, it's heightening everything that's already natural to them. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's great. I love it. Okay. Yeah. Now, I guess another cultural question then is, mm -hmm. do werewolves, demons, and witches fall under the domain of fae in your world, Nicola, or are they paranormal but not fae? The worldview I had was there's lots of different opposing forces, and the, the fairies are some of the most powerful, so they get some of the most say, because mm -hmm. 
they have the uh, power to back it up. Okay. Nothing like a government, nothing like that. Okay. Okay. Because I'm, I'm wondering, as we look forward from here, just in terms of the story and the crime that has been committed, initially it was presented as a, a crime against Faye, now it's a crime against humans, uh, which I think is an excellent step because now the human reader can can actually have some investment in, in, in uh, uh, seeing justice done. It also explains why Peter is involved in, uh, well, no, actually, how do, how do we work that? Well, that's actually not so hard because there's a long history of, um, I mean, the, the simplest thing is that Peter was a changeling. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting, you know, yeah. Because fairy has a really long history of snatching humans that interest them. Right. And, you know, you can come up with what it is about Peter that was so interesting that fairy snatched him. Mm-hmm. But but certainly there's there's uh, enough lore going on that, that it would have made sense. And it would also give a reason for Robin to have not seen him in a long time. Sure. Mm, yeah. So so basically Peter has yeah. been lured by the fave with, with promise of power and riches and, and dark delights to be a purveyor of the TWH uh, among the human world. Is that is that what we're looking at? That that would be one very easy route to go. Yeah. The other the other thing you could do actually, which would get even darker and more twisted, and would bring. Um, sorry, I'm totally tromping all over your story, but <laughs> no, I love. Um, it. <laughs> but if if you run with the changeling idea, it's always an exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the idea of Peter being a double agent, which is already built into your story. If there are basically two Peters, ah, <laughs> there's the Peter that's really a fairy that. Th- mm-hmm fairy sent to the mortal world with this mission. Mm. And then there's the real Peter who huh. is real, who is realizing what happened when he got swapped. And it's like, Oh, it's not just a holiday and fairy for me. Someone mm. is going around in my name, doing these horrible things. He teams up mm. with the witches gets killed when he's interfering. And then his brother is then trying to sort out which is the real Peter and which is the not real Peter. It also explains why his relationship with chase suddenly changed. Oh, that's that's really interesting. No, I like that. I like, and actually, that doesn't complicate things. We could actually push back the mm-hmm. revelation of of the the changeling Peter mm-hmm. uh, to the end of the book to be a springboard into book two. Yeah, yeah. That that the revelation, you know, there can be this whole morning. Oh, my my brother is gone and lost. Oh well, no, actually, he's not because he was a changeling. Blah blah blah. Yeah. 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 I mean, you can you can have the revelation that he's a changeling at any point. The revelation that oh. Oh, that means he's not dead. Can, yeah, I think ha- saving that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know that that yeah. that he might not be dead and might in fact be in need of rescue. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. You know, what do you think, Nicole? Is that does that align with the vibe that you were going for with the story? I I think that's great. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Brian, what about you, my man? Uh, I, where do you want to dive in? I, I'm I'm totally reeling. Really? What's well? Let's 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 go let's go where you live, dude. Let's let's talk about the antagonist. Who is the antagonist in this particular story? Yeah, because because the antagonist in in the original story mm-hmm. is the the fairy queen, right? Essentially, mm-hmm. I don't know. I she, she she doesn't really play a big part because now now she's not really playing that much of a part and all of a sudden it's the it's like the peter changeling twin well but even even in the original story she wasn't prominent we she wasn't very present right exactly yeah. so we're dealing with with a cultural thing more so than necessarily i mean they're, they're, the culture of the fae is is preying upon humanity oh my god what a shock I, I think i think what where i'm where i'm kind of falling behind a little bit is that I got really sucked in by the murder mystery aspect mm-hmm. of this. Yeah. And I think that going with the, with the Peter changeling, mm. it's, it's pulling me too far away from that. And oh. so I don't know if I'm vibing that. Oh no, I'm not, I'm not saying that we should abandon the murder mystery. I'm just, for me, for me, it's still very much that, that Robin is going in and trying to figure out who killed his brother. Right. Um, yeah, the bulk of the story is going to be that. Yeah, it's just that during the course of that, one of the things that that was already built into the bones that Nicole described is mm-hmm. that, you know, he starts learning more about his brother, you know, so this would just be an aspect that he would learn about him. For me, what I'm trying to streamline is Fairy's plot so that it's not quite so... Um, convoluted. <laughs> not quite so convoluted. And and I don't think that you have to have this, but it's certainly, it's something that I, to me looks like it's already in the bones of the story and just some minor tweaks would make it 
you know, it's to me, it's fairly sure. minor tweaks. Yeah, yeah, and and Brian, don't get don't get wrapped up in the in the whole changeling thing. That that fact doesn't come out until the end, or or whenever Nicole decides to reveal it. It initially the right. whole thing is a murder mystery. And Nicole, the thing I love about this murder mystery thing, if and if we can, especially if we can give Robin a little more. Uh, gravitas in in the pursuit of the of the investigation is that robin's investigation is simultaneously a world building exercise uh uh for Mm -hmm. for the audience which is brilliant uh we don't have to have a lot of info dumps necessarily it's you know what stages of development about your world do you want to reveal when and then have a clue or an event uh, uh that reveals more about peter's murder be the next stage that reveals that information. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And and I also think that to get back to Brian's point, which is that in order for this to feel personal to Peter, he has to believe the entire time that his brother has been killed. And he has to believe that right. all the way up to the end. If you decide to to have, you know, when you get to the end, if you decide to have the reveal that Peter's brother was not actually killed um, and that somehow he did an amazing switcheroo with the changeling, then you have to hold that to the end because as soon as it's not Peter's brother, then two things happen. One is that we lose personal investment in solving the mystery. And two, we raise a new story question, which is the start of your next book, which is where is Peter's brother really? And that would become the the driving thrust. So you do have to hold Peter's brother potentially being alive until the very end. Mm -hmm. Or alternatively, Peter actually was killed and it's the changeling who's still yes. alive. Yeah, and I think that you can go either way, totally depending on what you want to do with the next book and what sort of emotional journey you want Robin to have. Do we do we have some kind of background on their on their parents? I don't want to dig a lot into backstory, but that's kind of where a lot of character impetus comes from. Were they yeah. were they orphans? Did Peter raise Robin as a as a boy? How did that work? Yeah, my so I'd worked out that they're basically orphans. Uh, Peter had raised Robin from a young age. Their mother was a police officer and was killed in the line of duty. And I have n- worked out nothing whatsoever about their father. Possibly in a later book, there'll be some revelation about that okay. if I ever get there. Is, is Mary, do you know, is there any uh, uh, lore about parents being involved in the changeling swap at all? Yeah, there's a, there's a number of different th- ways uh, parents come in usually um it is things like you know throwing the baby on the fire to try and get the uh the original child back and stuff like that but i don't think any of it is stuff that is going to play nicely into you know orphans right in, into right. this i i i have a um a pet peeve with orphans just because I understand that dramatically the easiest thing to do is to get the parents out of the way so that the kid has to take agency on their own. There's just so many stories about orphans. Um, yeah. And, you know, having, having parents who, uh, who don't believe what's going on, you know, who are alive and don't believe you, is a very common thing that kids go through. So I don't know that you actually have to kill the parents in order to get them out of the way. Well, and and you could even go so far as as to say, you know, let's not not only not kill them, but let's. And I know it's YA, and I know that it's all about getting your your protagonist to go through those those experiences that the reader is going through. But it it seems like there's a lot of marginalization of the adults just in general. Just get them the heck out of the story. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if they could be engaged without diffusing the power of the story in the context of the protagonist. Does that make sense? I, I don't know if that's possible. It makes sense to me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm not sure how that would be done, but uh, one instinct that I'm having is, is you know, right now, Nicole, you've got Robin kind of a, a, a hey, I like to play baseball. That's what I want to do. And I'm, I'm an all-American boy. And let, maybe we can dirty him up a little bit. Maybe he's uh, having some problems in, in school. He's, he's picking fights because his older brother is, is not there to guide him. Maybe his older brother led him down some 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 darker paths uh, before he vanished altogether. And the parents are trying to to deal with that, trying to rectify that because the 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 Peter that we're dealing with is actually the changeling from a dark fake culture. Ah, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, what I actually I'd written a couple of scenes at the beginning, and my idea is uh, having Peter raise Robin, and Peter is involved in this you know really dangerous paranormal world. 
their relationship became a little codependent and too close, and Peter wouldn't let his little brother really trust anyone else because he doesn't trust anyone else okay. because of the kind of life he leads. So at the beginning, Robin, the reason Robin doesn't go to the police, the reason he goes to Chase is because his brother doesn't trust the police. And so it's also a journey of trust for Robin in my vision. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But that, that's not a, with the backstory that you originally described mm-hmm. with their, their mother was a cop killed in the line of duty. It doesn't make sense that he would grow up not trusting the cops. But the other thing is that the the way the cop culture is, if their mom was killed in the line of duty, they would be taken care of. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but let me say that reversing my my whole um, you know orphans are thing. Okay. The the nice thing about about them being orphans is that it gives Peter very strong clear motivation. If you if you go with the changeling swap. It gives Peter very strong motivation for wanting to make that change. If Fairy is basically saying, we will look after your brother and we will give you the tools to make sure that he is okay, that gives Peter very clear motivation and, and also complicates all of the decisions that he would make and therefore Peter uh, Robin's reaction to those decisions. It's like, my brother is doing these terrible things, but he was doing them because he loved me. That's also an interesting thing to look at. I just I have a quick question. Is Robin the only human really that we're dealing with in in the story? In this story, there are minor characters. As it's written, he has some foster parents. He has a social worker. Um, there are other humans involved in his normal life, but in in the murder mystery plot, he's the only human. Okay, okay. Because one of the one of the things that I think really made um, uh, oh god, what the hell is the name of that show? Um, with Sookie and oh, true, true blood. Yeah, well, like they totally lost me when all of a sudden every single character is some kind of mythological creature, and we no longer had anybody who was normal. And wanted to ask that because I want to make sure that that doesn't happen. But I also am wondering what is it about Robin that makes him special, that makes him protagonist worthy? What is you know what I mean? Like, does he have any kind of specific quality that is going to come out later that makes him really the one that uh, is is worthy of being the protagonist? You know what I mean by that? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd envisioned him as being, uh, he's a really good natural instincts for investigation. So from the beginning, he's sort of very good at observing his surroundings and picking up clues. And that was sort of... Uh, how his personal qualities will lead him on this journey. Even more than that, I'm wondering if, mm-hmm. you know, the qualities of a protagonist uh, are, are, are things like undying love, uh, fierce loyalty uh, uh, that gets him into trouble, that, 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 that is a problem. So, so having Robin be uh, a fiercely, fiercely, and you, you set this up as in your, in your thematic uh, statement, Robin's love and devotion to Peter is is his goad, his his badge of honor, but it's also his bane uh, and his nemesis. So so having him, you know, initially, you know, the, the the call to action could really be Peter is missing. I've had enough of him being missing. I'm going to go find him. And mom and dad saying, no, don't. If you do that, uh, uh, you know, you've got school. You have responsibilities. Yes, but he's my brother. How can you not love him? Blah, blah, blah. And somehow create a break, a schism that launches him out. What if it is the changeling that is the one that's killed and he mm-hmm. finds the real Peter halfway through mm-hmm. and the real Peter is, even though the other one was Faye, the real Peter is the darker one. And doesn't recognize him. Doesn't know his own brother. Oh, yeah, but but then but then uh, then why does Peter keep? Why does Robin? What what motivation then does Robin have to solve anything? Mm. What you've done is you've done a bait and switch structurally because you start off with murder mystery and then you switch to character story. Mm, right. And and Mary, I think I forget what it was, but you'd mentioned this in in various writing excuses episodes where you or, no, or maybe it was during the twenty minutes with, but you make characters do wrong things. You 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 give you define what they want, and then you don't give it to them. Yeah. Uh, and you have them make bad choices along the way, trying no, to no, achieve no, no, those no. things. No, no, no. You have them make okay. really good choices that then go terribly wrong. Ah. <laughs> Yeah. There you go. Okay. Yeah, Important no, the, I, I can't, yeah, the, the having characters make bad choices, no, you want them to do the smartest thing possible and just have it not work. Okay. 
because having characters make stupid choices for plot reason is maddening to a reader. <laughs> Good point. It's like, you know, you've, you've read those books. Sure. Let me go back to, to Robin's backstory, which is, uh, you mentioned he's on the baseball team. Um, yeah. And let me suggest that perhaps looking at, because I think that's great. And I think that's getting sports into a story is, is you know, actually very savvy. But it, it also opens up a lot of opportunities, one of which is maybe that instead of being, you know, really good at investigative stuff, mm-hmm. that he's he's really good at team dynamics. Oh, okay. One of the things, the other things that's really interesting about baseball is that you have to start playing incredibly young because it rewires your brain. There's a book called uh, Why Michael Can't uh, Why Michael Can't Hit, I think, but it's about Michael mm, Jordan. And, Michael Jordan. And, yeah, and how he he's not a good baseball player. He can do all of these other things, but the um, the speed at which your brain has to work in order to hit the ball is so fast that it's 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 not something that you can come to later in life. So maybe one of the side effects of being able to see and process that quickly is that it's easier to see into the Fey world. Oh, okay. That it it kind of kicks at your second sight. That that one of the reasons you know that good baseball players just naturally come with second sight. That's interesting, yeah. Partly because what I want to see, here is a scene that I have been wanting to write and I don't have a story for it to be in, and so I'm going to give it to you. Which is the baseball player who's in the middle of a battle and there's like people with swords all around and he's like, screw it, I got this. And he picks up a rock and he throws it. Oh, that's how he destroys the soul cauldron. Excellent. That's That's what I want to hear. I'm like, is anyone not choosing the baseball? I will come down. We will have words. Um, But I think that if if it also shapes his personality, you know, like the things that he's interested in, the reasons that he likes baseball, if you look at those for for the the roots of why he is good at this and which pieces, you know, it's like, okay, well, what would a baseball player do to solve this? Okay. Um, instead of making, because I feel like if he's also a good investigative mm-hmm. person, then then you run into you know the protagonist who is too good, which leads me to my next question, which is, mm-hmm. what is his tragic flaw? Ooh, good question. From the beginning, my idea was his tragic flaw was the only person he trusts is his brother Peter, and when Peter dies, he sort of doesn't trust anyone else. But I feel like that's a very I feel like you hear that a lot. What's what's the protagonist's flaw? Well, they don't trust people. They have to learn how to trust. I feel like that's very not yeah. that yeah. yeah, yeah, and it, mm-hmm. it also doesn't make sense for a baseball player. Yeah, that's true. That, that you're it's playing a team sport. Dynamics. That's true. So we need to come up with something that's in the context of the larger story arc will serve as a debilitating tragic flaw that needs to a trip him up in some way. And also something for him to overcome. Mm, yeah. Okay. All right. Brian, you got anything mm. there, bud? No. No. <laughs> I got nothing. Well, let me let me put this out there, and and I don't know if we even want to go here or not. But I'm thinking about uh, THW. I'm thinking about this drug, and and I'm thinking about the fact that ultimately it prepares the soul for a journey to hell. Uh, and that maybe one of the things that it does, in, in addition to to the euphoria and the clarity and and the the incredible awareness expansion qualities of it, is that it lets you see into the fae and lets you see through the fae glamour mm-hmm. that apparently permeates our entire world. And maybe Robin needs to take the drug in order to engage with the world and solve his brother's murder. Not in YA. Ah, thank wow. you. Good point. Oh, good, good point. point. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And, then, and that's yeah, that's right. where I was. I was sitting. Going, Something's not right. That doesn't right. That doesn't jibe. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, you can raise the temptation, um, mm-hmm. but if you do it, then you have to deal with all of the implications, and it has to go terribly, terribly wrong. Right. Right, I mean, right. like, yeah. there's YA that you can get away with that in, but if you wanna, if you want schools to stock it, yeah. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to be really careful about that because. Kids are totally down with that, but parents, oh my God. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. and this is coming from the puppetry background where I was dealing with schools all the time. Let me tell you, there are certain <laughs> lines you do not cross. <laughs> Roger that, Roger that. Well, I, I work in educational software, so yeah. I totally get that. Okay. Unless, and I'm unless a teacher, the whole, so I... <laughs> yeah, and, unless, I mean, you, you are dealing with drugs in this, so, you know, I do think that Dave's instinct to look at this as, 
um, as a way to deal with drug culture mm-hmm. and, and the temptations thereof are is really solid. Maybe Robin has been tempted to dope. Mm. Yeah. There you go. Sure. Sure. That way, that way we can bring in steroids and, and, and then performance enhancement drugs as a, a, mu- a much more tangible and, and realistic uh, temptation. And then we can also apply a metaphor for the THW uh, mm. underneath it. Yeah. You know, it's th- this falls into the category of something that I think has a lot of potential, but I would want you to do a lot of reading on it. Yeah. Um, before making any plot decisions about that, because I would really want to know how that's handled. Um, Like talk to someone who deals with that in the schools and learn what all the permutations are before you start making plot decisions, because it gets into the kind of thing that could be mishandled badly uh, and easily. But really it seems like a golden opportunity. I mean, if, if handled well, if handled well, yeah, if handled well, I think you have real potential there, but research it. One of the things that was said earlier is that if humans take this, then they they gain some kind of, of fairy characteristic or something, right? And one of the things that, that people play on a lot is the whole thing where if a human goes into the fairy world and eats any of their food, they they lose years, right? Mm-hmm. So what if this drug slows down time for humans where everything around them seems to be moving in slow motion? And when they come off of it, time has gone by a lot faster. And so it's permeating through this baseball team because they're able to hit anything that people throw at them mm-hmm. when, they're, when they're playing their games. You know what I mean? Because it, everything mm-hmm. slows down if they're on it. Oh, interesting, because they have more time to think things through and respond. Right. And the ball mm-hmm. is coming at them very slowly. Yeah. Oh, okay. that's an interesting idea. Sure, and then then that brings up the the whole performance enhancement aspect of things, but puts a very distinct face. Yeah, spin on it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Know. Well, look, guys, I'm I'm looking at the time. I'm looking at at a tick down a little bit. I I, like, I want to go one more time around the table with with everyone here. But Nicole, I'd like you to define what you would like us to discuss during that last final imparting of wisdom and ideas and insight. Is there is there anything that you'd specifically like us to address or or indicate or articulate as we go through this last round? My goodness, no, you guys have already, your suggestions are helping me put this a lot in my mind and opening up more avenues for me to pursue for, uh, so whatever you guys want, you guys are... You guys are awesome. Very cool. Then then uh, one last time around the table. Mary, give Nicole some some last minute advice, some encouragement, some some wisdom to send her off with, with some literary gold in her pocket. Um, I would definitely think like every time you are, are working on this, think about the smartest thing that Robin can do. And and that includes letting him contact friends and family don't have him exist in a vacuum he's a team player use that as one of his strengths and one of his weaknesses maybe he depends on people too much nice i like that brian what do you got man i would say don't hold back one of the things that i was thinking about in the pitch is it seemed like you know they go to the werewolves they go to the demons they go to the witches and I know that you're going to throw in some some trouble there, but it passed by very um, almost passively. Like each group was kind of like, hey, you know, it wasn't us. Don't hurt us. And I, I want to see them really, you know, get torn up a little bit, beat beat up your characters a little and, and let them, you know, have that that conflict emerge from it rather than have things kind of go their way in, in, in any way. I'm, I'm going to quickly tag onto yeah. that, which is there's a, a structure called uh, yes, but no, and, which mm-hmm. is that when protagonist is running into a problem, uh, you, you're basically trying to decide whether or not they answer, you know, whether or not they get what they want and everything should get worse. So if they get what they want, it's like, yes, they got this, but there are killer bees coming now because they <laughs> opened this door <laughs> and no, and is, is also that it gets worse. Do they find the answer? No, and now the witches are angry at them. So that everything makes it worse and everything moves them along the path. Yeah, yeah. and that does, that enhances and escalates the stakes and the cost and the tension uh, every step of the way. Mm-hmm. Brian, did you have anything else there? No, 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 that was okay. the main thing. All right, yeah. um, and, and for me, Nicole, first, dive in and, and write the story 
as a murder mystery. Don't worry about all of the other layers. I think you're gonna. I think the only way that you can make this work because it is such a layered story is is to address each of the layers one at a time. Uh, write the story as a murder mystery. And and I honestly, I think that you've got uh, uh, the basic structure. It's it's the werewolves because he was doing drugs. No, 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 no. It was the demons that, that corrupted him. Ah, but and, and with each stage of the way, we get more information following Mary's idea of, but along the way, they also piss off the werewolves. So now they're, they have a price on their head from there. From the demons, maybe Robin has to lease his soul to one of the demons to, to get the information that they need. Uh, uh, and along the way becomes deeper entrenched into things he gets to the witches blah 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 that that layering is awesome tell that story and then go back and then look at the world building opportunities and and the character relationships the structures the romance the abort i i I think it's got to be an aborted romance between robin and chase uh but i can totally see chase connecting to robin in some way that she doesn't understand that she's confused about and of course robin is as well and gee you know teenagers being confused about relationships that never happens uh so (laughs) so having that in there and then on the third pass, you know, it seems to me that the THW is the elephant in the room. Uh, it, it's 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 a cool concept and and really makes the Fae nefarious. But as as Mary pointed out, man oh man, there, there's a big TNT uh, with a lit fuse on that thing too, if if not handled with care. So, holy crap! You've you've created such a a, a rich layered story world. I I think you just got to need to to go through it at each layer and then weave them together and and see what you end up with. Uh, yeah, uh, and and be awesome. So Nicole, thank you so much for bringing this 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 rich smorgasbord of story goodness to our table. This this is this has been fabulous, and I know it's never easy. Uh, uh, so we're we're much obliged, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you very much for uh, imparting your wisdom. <laughs> Absolutely, and it's so easy for us to do. Um, now, 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 look, Nicole. Uh, here's the deal: uh, uh, you write this thing and put it out there on your website in serialized audio fiction uh, or self-pub, however it gets out there. Please, please do so. And when you do, we will have you back. We will bring James Clavell, and we will not make you a knight of the round table. We will, as Brian suggested, make you a samurai of the round table that's that's the carrot that's dangling out there will you will you do this for us sounds great sounds awesome <laughs> excellent we can have, excellent do we can have gongs and we can serve sushi it's gonna be, be so badass. badass it's gonna be awesome <laughs> mary robinette koal this again is an affirmation of why we bring experienced writers onto the round table to to do this with us your your insights have been invaluable your your ideas and and perceptions uh really informed this discussion we really appreciate you making the time for us yes thank you ma'am Oh, thank you for inviting me on. And thank you, Nicole, for sharing the story. I'm really excited to see where you go with it. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Brian, final thoughts as we wrap this bad boy up? Yeah, well, this it's such a cool, cool story idea that there were just so many different ways that we could go with it. And yeah. I say we have to continue the conversation. So when this, you know, when this episode airs, um, I'm sure that the the comments are just going to explode because yeah. there's so many other things that we can say about this that need to be said. I couldn't agree more. And 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 dear friends, thank you, of course, for tuning in. And as Brian said, when the story hits, that comment section on the post is a great place to toss your ideas in there. Nicole, I'll make sure you get a heads up uh, when the comments start coming in because this kind of story just has comments written all over it uh so yes fabulous uh dear friends thank you so much if you had a good time with this if you got some literary gold out of this please feel free to pay it forward blog about us let the world know about the round table uh dropping a a review up on itunes is always much appreciated thank you for those who have uh, uh your comments uh we're out on facebook as well you can drop us a line out there then of course the website roundtablepodcast.com now we're sitting here wrapping up and it's like wow this has been an epic journey the cool thing is in a couple of days we're going to do it all over again we're going to have another awesome guest host come back and share some some golden wisdom with us we're going to have another courageous creative and courageous guest writer bring their story for discussion more more dialogue and 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 excitement more literary gold to be had uh, but that's, you know, that's still just a couple of days away. So, Brian, what what do you think we need to be doing between now and then, bud? Uh, you need to just say no to TWH <laughs> and get your high 
by getting your seat or your butt in the seat and writing. Absolutely. There, there is no greater high than, than feasting on your own brilliance and ideas and creativity. Awesome. Yes. You got it. Friends, you find what you're looking for, so look for the wow. Look for that top-shelf blue label goodness. I promise you, you will find it. It is out there for you. We will see you in just a couple of days. Until then, you guys stay cool, be frosty, be awesome, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This episode is copyright 2013 by the Roundtable Podcast and released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means do not sell it, but you can share it all you want. And you can even use pieces of it in your own production, as long as you release that production under the same licensing terms and attribute us as the source. This particular episode was produced by Lucy LeBlanc. Theme music provided by the talented Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you want to be a guest writer or guest host, or just learn more about the Roundtable Podcast, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also out on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at writerspodcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.